The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. The following program is for informational and educational purposes only. This program does not replace medical, mental health, or psychological diagnosis and treatment prescribed by your personal physician, psychologist, therapist, or other health care provider. Please consult your provider for diagnosis and care before beginning or changing any program or idea discussed. Welcome to Psych Up Live with your host, Dr. Suzanne Phillips. If you're experiencing life, and we know you are, you may have a variety of questions about relationships, family issues, personal goals, coping with the unexpected, and much more. Today, you will hear some answers from a psychological perspective, and you may just take away something that fits. Here is Dr. Suzanne Phillips. Welcome to Psych Up Live. I'm your host, Dr. Suzanne Phillips, and on this show, we're going to turn up the psychological perspective on many life issues. As the former host of Psych Up on Casoso Radio, I joined with terrific guests to host 73 shows. This show is different because it includes you in the conversation. This is Psych Up Live. I welcome you to listen in, call in with a question or a comment. Today, we're going to turn the perspective up on addictive relationships. Our guest expert today is Ross Rosenberg, psychotherapist, certified sexual addiction therapist, and the author of a well-written book, The Human Magnet Syndrome, Why We Love People Who Hurt Us. Ross's YouTube channel, which features 70 instructive videos on this topic, has amassed 2.3 million views and 23,000 subscribers. Today, Ross Rosenberg is going to share with us his thoughts on codependency addiction, the compulsive attraction to narcissists. Ross Rosenberg, welcome to Psych Up Live. Well, thank you. It's a pleasure to be on your show, Suzanne. Oh, thanks so much. Ross, you know, I think your book, it's terrific. It sets the stage for really understanding relate, relationship addiction, codependence addiction. So let's start with the question, what is the human magnet syndrome? What do you mean? Well, the human magnet syndrome um, explains what happens to um, all people when they meet someone. There, there, is a, there is a feeling that we identify as chemistry. It's that gut intuitive feeling. And if we come from healthy families, had really um, healthy childhoods, that, that chemistry leads us to be um, attracted to a certain personality type. But if we were so unlucky and were raised in a dysfunctional family and say we had a narcissistic parent or an alcoholic parent, um, we, would, we, we would have been affected in a way that we would be falling in love with the wrong person all the time. So what I found out is that opposite personalities are attracted to each other. And if we understand codependence as caretakers, as selfless, altruistic persons, they seem to always be attracted to the opposite of them as care needers, selfish, self-centered, um, um, narcissistic people. So, if you, if it's, so the human magnet syndrome, like magnets, um, the, the North Pole attracts the South Pole. When in these relationships, codependents invariably and, uh, and reflexively always fall in love with narcissists. Now, now when we talk about narcissists, it's used so much in the in the current media. We're talking about a spectrum of people. So, <clears throat> maybe we can talk about what what type of narcissism is is really reflected in the person who enters into this type of relationship. Well, in my book, I, I, I go to great pains to um, to specifically define codependency. In fact, um, I'm. I'm in the process of rewriting um, what we know and how we define codependency. So to, to tell you what a narcissist is, let me define what a codependent is. Right. There's someone, right. someone who reflexively um, gives um, love, respect, and care to others in great amounts, um, expects it to be returned, but it doesn't. They, they are in relationship with people that do not return 
um, the love, respect, and care that is given to them. They're mad because it's not fair and equal. They try to control that person, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and they don't get it, and they stay in the relationship. Mm -hmm. So that would be the codependent. Conversely, on the other side of the spectrum is a narcissist who takes in relationships all the love, respect, and care from someone who wants it, demands it, who can't get enough, and they don't reciprocate, and there's there's no mutuality, and they're not even conscious that they're being selfish. They just think that's the way it should be. So narcissists um, are focused in relationships on meeting their needs at the exclusion of others. In my book, I talk about pathological narcissists or emotional manipulators. Because if we're looking at the human magnet syndrome, we have to compare opposites. The codependent is, is on one end of the continuum, constantly giving and never receiving. The narcissist, the pathological narcissist, usually has a narcissistic personality disorder, a borderline personality disorder, an antisocial personality disorder, or is an addict. Mm-hmm. It's interesting because in some ways we might say, Ross, both of the players, both of the partners struggle with holding on to a constant, strong sense of self. And, you know, the codependent person is the one who, to feel safe, to feel secure, needs to be adoring another person, taking care of another person. And you're right. I mean, this is the person texting all day long. You're wonderful. Um, how's it going? Um, uh, what did you think of last night? They need, they need to constantly make sure that that narcissistic person is still there. And as in the one case, a woman, she said, I do all this stuff and I feel like I'm, I'm gathering coupons. And when is it going to happen that I cashed them in? That did not stop her, though, from continuing to be the giver, the doer, the audience. The narcissistic person, I think, can fool us because they can't function, and it's, it's hard to realize it. They need the audience. They need that person as much as that person needed to be the audience. Mm-hmm. Because these are, these are the people, you, you know, these are the people that walk into a party, and if they don't command the attention of everyone, it wasn't a good party. And these are the folks who really don't care what happened in the other person's workday. They only care what happened in their workday. So you can see they really both, underneath, as you say, didn't come from a secure attachment base in childhood. Well, you know, but you, you said something really interesting, and that is there, there, is, a, there is a mutuality in their dysfunction. And, and the way that I explain that to my clients and, and my, my, my readers and listeners is that it's, if you if, to think about the codependent narcissist relationships to think about a dancing partnership. There, the, there needs to be a leader and there needs to be a follower and each person needs to really know their role. Mm-hmm. And in the beginning of this relationship, um, the follower is only going to know how to dance with the leader. So the codependent comes from a background where they, where they learn that love is always about giving um, and taking care of others while sacrificing themselves. They know that almost intuitively and instinctively based upon the same childhood they had where they uh, weren't loved conditionally. And the narcissist, what they know intuitively and instinctively is that, that if no one's going to give them anything if they don't take it. So the leader of the dance needs a follower, and together they feel right. It feels compatible, and that's the essence of the human magnet syndrome. When these two opposites meet, they don't like say, "Wow, I found a narcissist," and, or "Wow, right, right, I, right. I found a codependent." It just feels right. They both know what to do, and and it becomes this dance partnership where they dance flawlessly on um, this dysfunctional relationship dance. Right. You know, remember the BG song, "How a Love So Right Could Turn Out to Be So Wrong." I mean, I think, and you're going to be talking about these as an addiction, it has to fit and it has to be a fix. It has to provide something, even short term, for each partner or they would never, I think, continue, as you say, to keep finding people who fit these roles. Right. I I actually came up with a, uh, and I I joke about this because I really have a fifth grade math uh, level here, but um, I call it relationship math, that, um, that a codependent and a narcissist come together because they're not completely developed. And I, and I say, and I quote this, they're half people in that they haven't really developed self-esteem, a feeling of confidence and competence, 
And they don't feel comfortable unless they're in a relationship with someone who also lacks that same confidence and self-esteem. So the half person, the two, the two dysfunctional couples, couple get together and they feel whole because they're with each other and they become enmeshed and it's that one dysfunctional unit. Whereas in reality, healthy relationships take an independent, interdependent person and they come together and because of their individuality, they feel loved and connected and they don't need each other to, um, to feel safe in the world. And so that it's going to happen. A half plus a half equals one, which is a half of a relationship, or one, one healthy person and another healthy person equals two, right. which is a full relationship. Right. That's a great way of thinking about it. It's interesting. So let's bring it to how does this end up looking so much and, in fact, being an addiction, Ross? Um, well, one of the things that um, I've understood is from my, uh, and I've and learned a lot about this, this problem of codependency or the human magnet syndrome relationship is that um, there's a, um, a deep yearning and compulsion that drives a codependent either to finding um, um, a narcissist or staying with this narcissist. And then I figured out through, through my own journey as, um, that underneath that yearning is a fear of loneliness. And I call it pathological loneliness. Um, every codependent that you will talk to and will be honest to you will tell you that outside of a relationship, they don't feel right in their own body. They feel lonely, painfully lonely. And so I came to understand that that is a withdrawal symptom. That um, codependency or the relationship with a narcissist somehow um, um, self-medicates that loneliness that comes from unresolved childhood trauma. And if they should break up with the narcissist, and every therapist that I know will tell you this, including, I'm sure, Suzanne, you've had plenty of experience. The codependent who breaks up with the narcissist um, for all the right reasons finds himself coming up with, with crazy distorted reasons to get back to that person mm-hmm. just mm-hmm. like the alcoholic starts or the or the drug addict starts to make up reasons why he or she should use again they start they start just um distorting things or lying to themselves and so what i've come to understand is that they the, the codependent is compulsively attracted to the narcissist because of of the fear of being alone and and the loneliness is the withdrawal symptom mm-hmm I I so agree with you, and it is striking the correspondence between this kind of addictive, codependent uh, uh, relating and uh, and actual substance dependence or any other particular addiction. Because you see, there's a whole, just as someone's desperate to get the drug they need or the, or the drink of choice, these people will put tremendous effort into keeping the relationship with this person floating. And they will sometimes disregard their job. They will disregard their friends. At some point, their friends have to live... Yes, yeah. Their friends have to live through cycles of this is the most wonderful person on earth to, oh my God, is he going to call me? And anguish and physical symptoms. And as you say, I'm startled at times with the impact even on the cognitive fog when they start to get frightened that the relationship is going to break up. People have said things to me. One of the most startling was a woman who um, came upon this person who was involved with many, many people, although he, he never admitted that. She actually came upon him in bed with someone else. And in the end, what she was telling me is, well, you see, I was at first mad, but then I really stopped being mad because I think he's right. I should have called first. The distortion of reality, Ross, was so painful to hear, and her desperation, as you say, it's the desperation of someone going through, you know, the euphoria and then the withdrawal and the the depressed longing of the drug user. Yeah, and if, and to really put your, to grasp the concept of codependency addiction is you have to understand that that person who busted her husband with another woman. Um, um, she had to come up with an excuse in her, in her mind because that, without that excuse, she had to face the reality of, be, um, um, of breaking up or divorcing him 
and being alone with, uh, with being alone from a narcissist is to be alone, lonely, and loneliness is is an excruciating um, um, experience for the codependent. I call it the number one withdrawal symptom, and mm. they will do everything and anything, like any drug addict, to to avoid the withdrawal symptoms, including lying and distorting reality, as you said. Well, you know how we, we talk about the use of an addiction, you know, has to do with regulating affect. So if I can't regulate my anxiety, fear, loneliness, or depression, and I need you next to me to do that, I am very codependent on you. Um, the reverse is it doesn't look so much like it, and they don't often come for treatment right away, is right. the narcissist who, just when one of the codependent type people are ready to think, you know, I've really had it, they do something charming, they reassure them, and we're back. But they also have that need to keep, as you say, the dance going. Because both both individuals are deeply deeply psychologically impaired, the narcissist much more than the codependent. And the narcissist experience, although not conscious, um, to be alone is to face the, um, 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 the shame and self-hatred that they have that they're not really conscious of. That's why they're mm-hmm. so focused on themselves. So they both need each other to escape the inner reality of their loneliness and uh, shame that is um, buried deep inside of them. So it is the dance that makes the, the narcissist feel good about himself because now he's with someone where he can control everything. He can um, get all the attention. He can um, get all of the positives that, that come into a relationship. And the codependent finally has someone who will take them, who will let them take care of them. And in a very dysfunctional way, they're both meeting um, their, their roles that they learned in, child, in childhood. Mm. One of the things, I'm glad you mentioned the childhood again, is, you know, sometimes people don't come for help when they've been stuck in these, or they, quite frankly, will talk about it. They come often when the addiction isn't working, but they, they come upon this not by choice, because our childhoods, we don't pick who the parents or the primary caregivers are. So they people like this very much annoy friends. They drive family crazy, but they actually are suffering. And we're mm-hmm. gonna t- we're gonna take a brief break, but when we come back, we're gonna talk a little bit about the impact they have on people, at why it is they come for help, and what you can do about this type of relationship. You've been listening to Psych Up Live with Suzanne Phillips, and our guest is Ross Rosenberg, the author of The Human Magnet Syndrome: Why We Love People Who Hurt Us. We'll be right back. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. All around the outermost rim of the shield, he set the mighty stream of the river Oceanus, creating Achilles' shield in Homer's The Iliad, Book 18. Rachel Carson, in The Sea Around Us, said, All at last, return to the sea, to Oceanus, the ocean river, like the ever-flowing stream of time, the beginning and the end. Moyer's Environmental Dialogues with Dr. Rob Moyer offers lively dialogue and revealing narrative inquiry into how individuals are overcoming obstacles and creating a greener and blue planet Earth. Tune in Thursdays at 3 p.m. Eastern, 12 noon Pacific, on the Voice America Variety Channel. You count. Tune into Inner Revolutionary Radio and join the spontaneous wave of people all over the planet who, like you, are changing our world from the inside out. Follow the movement. Meet guests who are shaking things up. Call in and gain insights and courage to empower your own voice. Large or small, your part counts. So join us. Co-hosted by Beth Green and James Maynard, Inner Revolutionary Radio airs live every Thursday at 3 p.m. Pacific Time, 6 p.m. Eastern, on the Voice America Variety Channel. These days, everyone is looking for information on staying young, healthy, and fit. 
the Voice America Health and Wellness Network is here to help you on your quest to better health and a better you. We talk about everything from diet, fitness, and aging to substance abuse, personal growth, mental health, and much more. Learn from our experts who cover health and wellness from traditional and holistic perspectives. Tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. Healthy living starts here. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. You are listening to Psych Up Live. Join in our conversation today by calling Dr. Suzanne Phillips or her guest at 1 866 472 5788. That's 1 866 472 5788. You may also send an email to radiohostphillips at gmail.com. Now back to Psych Up Live. Welcome back to Psych Up Live. We're speaking with Ross Rosenberg about codependency addiction, the irresistible attraction to narcissists. And listeners, if you're hearing something that really clicks for you or actually is different from what you've experienced, I welcome you to call in, 1-866-472-5788. Ross, we were talking about the suffering that goes with these kinds of relationships. And I'll tell you that I had posted a blog this week, which listeners can read um, right on our um, Voice America website, about relationship addictions. And someone commented that, she said, I've been there, done that. And I'll tell you, in the end, I was so confused. I didn't know who I was. I didn't know who he was. All I knew was that I was suffering physical and emotional pain, and that was right. it. Yeah. And and so that seems to be part of this dance, as wonderful and charming as he looked or she seemed. It really, as any addiction, brings with it tremendous emotional and physical anguish and tremendous loss in other areas of the people's lives. Right. Well, in, when, the way that I really uh, bring, the, bring your point um, true to, to, to people is I explain that the addiction isn't, isn't the beginning of the problem. The beginning of the problem is what I call the original condition or the psychological uh, condition a person is that requires them to self-medicate, to either detach, numb, something is um, bothering them. And it could be anything from depression, anxiety, or um, trauma that you uh, dealt with when you were a child. So, so the, so, it is that pain that drives someone to self-medicate, and over time, the self-medication, whatever your drug is, whether it's codependency, alcohol, cocaine, or sex, becomes addictive. So you have the pain of the addiction, how the addiction controls you, and we have consequences, we have losses, we have um, a spiraling, um, out-of-control lifestyle, and, and that in itself is, is the major problem. But what a lot of therapists don't understand, and I try to teach them, is once we get the addict or the codependent, sober, um, in recovery, now we have to deal with the pain that mm-hmm. compelled them to act out. And that's a different type of pain. It's a deeper pain. Mm-hmm. It's a pain that goes deep back into, their, into their, their, their childhood sometimes. I think that you're so right, because the reason um, that folks come to treatment, the reason people over all these years have come one primary reason for the codependent, the one who's doing the uh, adoring and the I need mm-hmm. this man, he's the only one, is that that person really is <clears throat> feeling the anxiety of the fix not working anymore. Person's not that available. Why didn't he call me back? I think he took someone else on, etc. So they're really coming to ask me to get the fix to work better. What can I do to him? What can I say to him? What can I buy him? <clears throat> that'll lock him into this. Really, they're trying to get relief for this anxiety. And I call that the codependent delusion, that, yes. that, um, that they can do actually something that will eventually make someone to love, respect, and care for them the way that they do to, to that person. And it, as a delusion, it's not based upon reality, but it's that thought process, that delusional process that drives, or, or for not, another way of saying it, is the engine of the codependency. Because if, if, if you don't actually believe that you can actually do something to actually control someone, then you would, you know, abandon um, 
the whole process in a relationship. In fact, in Codependency Anonymous, and which people can find out on coda.org, step one is to understand you're powerless over controlling others, right. not, you're not you're powerless over codependency. Oh, I think that fits perfectly. I mean, I've had people leave the state, follow people, um, move, just do about anything. Um, and so when they come, um, they want, if they haven't recognized this is really an addiction, they come to get relief and to figure out a way to change the person. Now, the narcissistic people don't come too easy, but when they come, it's usually when, Ross, the codependent has stopped, sometimes the help of friends, mostly they've reached rock bottom, they've reached rock bottom, and they've been in that stage, and we're going to talk about stages of recovery, where they're starting to pull back. They're daring to think, wait a minute, maybe I'm allowed to love myself, maybe this is a bad guy. Maybe this woman is unbelievably selfish. And at that point, the narcissist becomes so panicked, that's when I get the call from them. I'm in a love relationship. I think I'm losing this person. I can't live without them. Now, what, do you hear a similar thing? Oh, absolutely. In, in fact, um, um, in my book, The Human Magnet Syndrome, I created a theory called the continuous self theory. And um, um, explain that... Um, um, there is a balance in this functional relationship, you know, um, 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 to, uh, call it an equilibrium, that the codependent and the narcissist, in, in a, in a, just, in, they, they create the balance, the giver and the taker. And so if you shift that balance, um, everyone's going to get uncomfortable. So when I work with my codependent clients, I give them what I call is my surgeon general warning. Although I'm neither a surgeon nor a general, right. but I do say, like on a pack of cigarettes, you know, if you smoke, right. you're going to get lung cancer and emphysema. And, and, and uh, I say that if you go, if you really participate in codependency therapy, your, um, your life is going to feel crazy. And everyone that you're connected to who's a narcissist is going to be really angry at you. And your partner, husband or, or spouse is going to do everything they can to tr- uh, try to trick you into going back to your codependent ways, and it's going to suck. But the reason I say that is that, is that um, I have to prepare them for the fight because the narcissist does, has, has so much to lose by the codependent getting better. Absolutely. And they will try to sabotage them. So to your comment, um, um, the narcissist is only going to come into therapy um, be, um, in order to not lose a codependent, it's all still a narcissistic process. They have no intention of, of taking a look at what they've done to harm the codependent. It is to, get, is to keep the codependent from leaving them so they don't lose um, their caretaker. Yes. They will even sometimes go to couple therapy um, with the hidden notion that they can get through this and they're going to get the person back. I, there's, there's a piece to this, and that is I often I do groups in addition to individual work, and I want to say to folks, um, I have been so impressed at times when other people, and you can see someone's working out of their own codependency, they'll say to someone who's really stuck, <clears throat> I get it. This is even mm-hmm. different than drug or alcohol abuse, because when you throw the bottles away, they don't call you the next night. They don't knock on your door. With a codependent addiction, we're dealing with the fact that the needs both sides. So even as one person's trying to get healthier or trying to step out of it, the other one's knocking, stalking, and that's difficult to deal with. Oh, yeah, the, the, the codependent, and, and that's why I came up with um, uh, I came up with the four stage model of codependency recovery. Okay. Um, because and, and which starts off with the um, the the surgeon general warning is is I think it's an ethical um, imperative. Um, it's morally responsible to tell codependents, hey, if this happens, this is what's going to happen to your um, with you, and this is probably what your narcissistic partner is going to behave like. So you have to prepare, and so and and I break it down into four stages. Um, you know all you know and. The, the first stage is about setting boundaries in a hostile environment. It is the stage where, you know, codependency withdrawals um, um, flare up, and it 
a lot of codependents don't get past it because the narcissist beat them down. And, and if they don't have a good enough therapy or a good enough uh, uh, personal drive or willpower to do the work and fight back, um, they never get past step, uh, stage one. Stage two is maintaining relationships in a hostile environment. This is where, you know, you've kind of separated the, the, the wheat from the chaff. You know, um, the, the pathological narcissists are gone, and you're, you know, it's like the aftermath of an earthquake. You know, you're trying to put things together. You're, you're not in as bad as withdraw, withdrawals, and you're not panicking as much. Um, and you're just trying to put things into order so that you can move forward. Stage three is uh, practicing um, um, healthy relationships. Um, and this is where um, you start to reach out to other people. Um, you start to experiment with healthy um, self-love-based relationships. And stage four, finally, um, is the payoff. It's, it's, it's being in um, unconditionally loving and safe relationships. So the whole, and, and that's a very short version. I have the whole, I have a whole hour um, um, uh, webcast on YouTube uh, for that. But the four steps give structure um, to the, um, the recovery process, but more than structure, it gives hope. Because if you can tell a client, well, this is what's going to happen, it's how it's going to be, and they like, believe that you know what you're talking about and it sounds real, it gives them hope because they can, they can fight the first stage and know that the second and the third and the fourth are going to be better. Mm. And, the, and your YouTube is terrific on this. Um, if we were to go back for a minute, the, the, the listeners I want to speak to for a moment are friends of people who are in addictive relationships because often the friends are very worn out. I know you get very worn out. Um, and they've been through so many cycles of makeup, breakup, breakup, makeup, that they've, mm-hmm. they've had it. They've really had it. They've been left. The, the person has chosen the, the partner, never called them, etc. So when the person finally says, and this is another reason that sometimes a therapist, a group, people trained to deal with this, it's so invaluable a step is because the friends have been somewhat burnt out and they don't quite trust that this is going to be just another round. But as the friends, and I've seen sometimes friends really be supportive Remember, this is an addiction, so there's going to be some relapses. There's going to be trouble at that first stage when the person is afraid that um, this really was the love of their life, and how on earth are they going to pass it up? They forget for a minute the bad times. Um, But the friends who are able to remind them, you know, you're really the smart one. You always make it seem like he's the genius, you know, you're really a funny person. Why do you think he's the only one with the personality? They're invaluable in this. Yeah, the friend. Um, and, and one of the uh, one of the primary um, foundational um, activities for codependency recovery is connection. Is there's no way that you can do, go through those four stages and not have friendships with people that support you, that will will affirm you, that will help you, and remind you that all of your, your feelings about um, self-loathing, insecurity, um, are probably wrong. And, and, and whether it's in Codependency Anonymous, whether it's at a synagogue or a church or a mosque um, or um, some um, community activity, the codependents need to be around people. Because isolation um, um, is where their inner shame, their, their self-hatred, their self-loathing um, um, gets uh, worked up. Mm. And I think I love that that you're using connection. Uh, you're putting it to words as that first step, because if we think of it, the problem originates with the earliest connection that did not really allow the infant, the child, or whatever to feel like a separate, viable, wonderful person. So now, if in the recovery they're working with people uh, in a group, a therapist, a program where people are not using them and are not adoring them, but are instead seeing them for who they are, we've in some way replaced the, the addictive relationship with one that has the potential to let our folks see who they really are. Exactly. In fact, you're reminding me of a metaphor that I use a lot, um, and, um, and it has to do with the mirror. Um, a child learns... Um, codependents um, essentially lack self-love, and 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 that is the essential 
problem that without self-love, there's core shame. And they never learned to love themselves because they never felt worthy of that love because they were raised in such a harsh environment. Mm-hmm. So um, the, the, the mirror that they always see when they look in the mirror is they see, uh, you, know, they, you know, when they look, uh, they don't see a good person. But when they're around people that love them and affirm them and they see people smile and appreciate them um, and um, want to help them, it's like they're looking into a new mirror and they're seeing someone who actually deserves it. And it's like they have to get used to the new image because their whole life, what they saw in the mirror was someone who didn't deserve it, who was, didn't deserve love, attention, care. So these friends, whether it's, you know, uh, you know, a sponsor, someone, you know, a family member, a best friend, they start to like show the codependent that that mirror, that old mirror that they had, had lied to them. That was a distortion. That, that was a broken mirror that their parent gave them. And, and the best way that we can heal is to be reminded that we are inherently good people and that we never were bad and replace yeah, I, that mirror. I, I love it. That's the origins of, of this, the painful, the origins. Now, your stage one is setting the boundaries, and that's a very hard one, as you say. And, no one knows. Setting the no one knows. in a hostile environment. Right. No one knows who you are, and so everyone's attacking you, uh, except your therapist and maybe your group, and that's why they're so important. But the next stage is you're empowered, you say, but scared. You're working through the grief. Go ahead. Maintaining boundaries in a hostile environment. Right. And then eventually you become more empowered, and Mm -hmm. you start being able to work through the grief and the shame and the loss of what mm-hmm. these kind of relationships were. And you, you know start what? to dare to think maybe mm-hmm. there's an alternative. And that would be stage three, where mm-hmm. um, you start to experiment um, with new relationships. And, you know, and uh, although I never said this or even thought about it, but that's where your mirror starts to uh, get replaced and you start to see yourself as worthy and, and as a positive part in a relationship and you start to experiment, not only with that feeling for yourself, but being with people who see that person also. You know, we're going to take a break, but what I want to come back and talk about is this building new relationships point is very, very important, but also is a little bit tricky because now you're going to see if you can decide who the good guys are and who the bad guys are. And we sometimes have a little relapse, but we're going to even see relapses as positive. We'll be right back. You've been listening to Psych Up Live. I'm here with Ross Rosenberg, real expert in codependency addictions. We'll be right back. News. Opinion. Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. Are you or someone you know interested in attending college? With both college tuition and college enrollment up 60% since 2002, there is a lot of competition, and careful planning needs to be a part of the process. Tune in to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation. Hosted by Elizabeth Heaton and featuring a team of college coach experts, we'll bring you the tips, techniques, and know-how to navigate the road to college and do so the smart way. Listen live every Thursday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have you found the beauty inside of you? Join Bonnie Bonadeo each week for Beauty Inside and Out. We'll explain how beauty plays a part in everybody's lives. Our guests are makeup artists, hairdressers, and doctors. But we'll also feature holistic and wellness specialists and spiritual advisors. You can find that beauty inside and express it to its fullest on the outside. Tune in to Beauty Inside and Out every Thursday at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. The schizophrenia community faces tough challenges every day. The community includes individuals living with schizophrenia, their partners, parents, children, siblings, friends, neighbors, co-workers, and also their providers of health care and social services. To hear Dr. Gordon Atherley introduce members of the schizophrenia community who are sharing their experiences, 
Tune in to Schizophrenia Community Radio every week, Tuesdays at 1 p.m. Eastern, 10 a.m. Pacific, on the Voice America Variety Channel. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. listening to Psych Up Live. Join in our conversation today by calling Dr. Suzanne Phillips or her guest at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You may also send an email to radiohostphillips at gmail.com. Now back to Psych Up Live. Welcome back. We're really touching an important topic here today um, with author Ross Rosenberg. We've been talking about codependency addiction, and we've really reached the point where we're asking and, and finding it to be viable. Recovery is possible, in other words, Ross. If you, if someone who has been stuck in an addiction, re, addictive way of relating, whether you're a codependent personality, a narcissistic personality, you would say recovery is possible. Oh, absolutely. In, in fact, to, to simplify it, um, um, I finally uh, came up with a new name for codependency that explains why recovery is possible. Codependency has never worked for me. It sounds like a negative term. It doesn't really say much about the problem. So to me, codependency really is the absence of self-love. And if you can, if, if through this whole recovery process, what you're doing is healing the parts of someone that keeps them from loving themselves. So to your question, is recovery possible? Um, if, if someone can get to the hurt that keeps them from loving themselves and embracing themselves and they can work through it, absolutely. I've seen miracles. I've seen, I've seen wonderful, wonderful um, um, examples over and over again. In fact, I'm a recovering codependent. I learned all this from my own therapy. So yes, mm. absolutely. Wonderful, wonderful opportunities for people that want to do the work. Mm. And, and I would agree, I have also seen people, and I want to I make this point clear, I've seen people go through these stages, and I've even seen folks, particularly when they start redating again or trying to have a new relationship, sometimes relapse a bit, sometimes all of a sudden get very frightened and think yeah. that, well, you know, this person isn't as charming. But if we think about, I, I always say addictions we get a recovery from addictions through approximations and by staying mm-hmm. connected to viable, healthy relationships. The therapeutic relationship is one of them, and we have many, as, as you mentioned before. But if the person sees the relapse as a point of information rather than as a point of self-shame, it could be an important step, wouldn't you say? Absolutely. In fact, I don't say this up front because... Um, um, because I don't want to encourage relapse, but I always say this after relapse. But uh, relapses are, are the absolute best teachers of the insidious nature of the addiction um, because um, relapses often come um, after sustained period of recovery or abstinence when someone feels like they, they got the world, uh, they got it, you know, they, they, got, it, they got, got it tackled, they know what's going on, and something happens out of nowhere puts them into a, um, a spot where they relapse. So the relapse makes the codependent shame, sh- you know, feel shameful enough. But what I do is I try to take the shame out of it and, and, and just use it as an example of, hey, this is bigger than you. Mm-hmm. And I point to, you know, step one on the 12-step process is to understand that you've never had power to control this, control others. And to me, that is a major therapeutic moment is when someone goes, you're right. This is bigger than me. It can make me think things that I don't really want to think. So yes. absolutely, um, relapse is actually a necessary part of recovery. Yeah, I'm loving that you say that. It's you know, it's the whole growth mindset that um, taking a look and really putting it up on the screen and seeing how it looked like a wonderful magical illusion. And knowing, oh no, no, this is just one more round of the same where I can't be me is invaluable in terms of moving on with with life. Um, One of the things that 
that people, and here's the friend piece again, and that is to understand that relapses are almost an inevitable part. I'm with you. We're not encouraging them, but we're certainly remembering that anywhere along the line where we can take shame out of the picture and support mm-hmm. a person's recovery, we give them a gift. Right. And and because the codependent, if we understand it is my new name for it, self-love deficit disorder, the, the reason they don't and never love themselves is because no one ever gave them a reason to. No one ever showed them or treated them like they were worthy of self-love. In the absence of self-love is, is shame and self-hatred and self-condemnation. Um, um, so when they start to experience that, that's, a, that's part of their metamorphosis. And, and, and it's a wonderful... Um, it's wonderful as a therapist to watch someone actually tell you stories where they not only feel it, feel this self-love growing inside of them, but start to see that people treat them with respect. And, 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 and it's sometimes it's like watching a, a child grow. They're learning things that they never knew existed or could happen. And once they're in a relationship that's viable and healthy, they will verbalize and say, I, I don't even know what I was thinking. Or I could never go back to that place again. I mean, yeah. and that's where, that's where they're so invaluable often in sharing that wisdom with other people who have, yeah. you know, who they've said, I, yeah. I've been there. I've been. And, 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 and what you're saying, then, and what you're saying there then connects to the human magnet syndrome because the human magnet syndrome is not just about dysfunctional love. My book talks about the, um, the reflexive attraction to people who are perfectly balanced for each other who are opposite. So once you, the, the codependent who is in recovery or the person who is, has self-love deficit disorders in recovery, they still can like to take care of people. They still can enjoy being there for others, but they mm-hmm. learn how to love themselves. They learn how to set boundaries. And so they're probably going to be attracted to someone who's opposite from them, but opposite in a good way, not in a dysfunctional way. And then we have the chemistry, the excitement, and, and then they, they learn what they should have learned a long time ago. I'm, glad, I'm so glad you said it because there is a chemistry to people who are at times wonderful compliments to But different from this is that they could stand alone. It's that interdependence that you talked about. Of course, couples <laughs> depend on each other, but they also can stand alone. Um, right. You know, Ross, you're terrific having you on the show. Let me what would be the take-home message you would give to our listeners? The take-home message of, uh, is, first, codependency. And, and, I've, and I talked to uh, Melody Beattie, who wrote the book Codependent No More. So I kind of joked with her that mm-hmm. I have the new thing, and I'm kind of ripping it off of her book. But I say <laughs> codependency no more. This is about self-love deficit, in that, that we look at this not as this disorder we have that makes us bad, but this condition that um, about we never learned how to love ourselves. And the, the antidote, the cure of codependency is self-love. And the message is mm-hmm. figure out a way to work with someone professionally to find out why you have so many layers um, in, your, in your life and in your, in, 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 in your thinking and feeling that keep you from acknowledging that you are perfect and always have been perfect and deserve to be loved by others, and especially deserve to be loved by yourself. And when you get there, and you can embrace self-love, you are going to find the man or the woman of your dream who's going to love you as much as you love them and, and, and affirm you, not hurt you. It's, it's wonderful. You know, just as a follow-up, and I, I know your opinion of this and our listeners' opinion, this little poem I'm going to read, it comes from Derek Walcott. It was a Nobel Prize winner, and it's called Love After Love. The time will come when with elation and you'll greet yourself arriving at the door in your own mirror, and each will smile at the other's welcome and say, sit here, eat. you love again the stranger who was yourself. Give wine, give bread, give back your heart to itself, to the stranger who has loved you all your life, whom you ignored forever, who knew by heart. Take down the love letters from the bookshelf, the photographs, the desperation notes. Peel your own from the mirror and feast on your own life. To me, it fits with, with what you say has to do with the core of the, the recreation of self-love and self as a real antidote to codependent addiction. The, the antidote to codependency is self-love. And if, that, and if you know that, 
it'll lead you um, on your journey to heal those wounds that kept you from um, knowing that you've always been worth love. Mm. Now, Ross, I want our listeners to know how to get to your YouTube, which is phenomenal, the book material. How can folks find you and benefit from the work you do, the services you provide? What, What can you tell us? Well, um, first of all, you know, I wrote the book, The Human Magnet Syndrome, Why We Love People Who Hurt Us. Um, I tell people to, um, if you want a paperback version, buy it on the website, humanmagnetsyndrome.com, um, instead of Amazon, because um, um, authors, are, um, authors um, can actually make, make, make a, um, a couple bucks more. <laughs> um, Amazon is, is, is quite the... Uh, um, company, but um, also on Amazon there is the uh, digital version or the Kindle and the uh, Audible or, or audio version. I also have of videos, um, seventy videos on my YouTube channel. And if you go to YouTube, just uh, just um, type in Ross Rosenberg and, and they'll take you to my channel. And I have videos categorized by all sorts of uh, subjects related to codependency and narcissism and recovery. I also am a professional trainer and I travel around the world giving trainings. Um, in fact, I have one coming up in London um, on November 28th, and in the springtime, I'll be having one in the Chicago area. So if you are interested mm-hmm. in getting on my mail, mailing list, just email me at info at humanmagnetsyndrome.com. And I'm a psychotherapist. Yeah, I'm a psychotherapist. And I own a practice in Arlington Heights. Right. And they could find out information about that by contacting you on the info, humanmagnetsyndrome.com? Yep, absolutely. Okay. Ross, I want to thank you again. We've worked together before. It is a pleasure to work with you. And I know our listeners deal from hearing your wisdom about codependency addiction. Thank you. And thank you so much for having me on your show again, Suzanne. Um, It was was a treat. Thank you so much. Um, I also want to our listeners, and I invite um, our listeners, join me next week when our guest is Rachel Hills. Now, Rachel Hills is a widely published journalist who will be discussing her new book, The Sex Myth, The Gap Between Our Fantasies and Realities. You will be fascinated by the premise of this book, the research of this book, and you'll find something in it for yourself. Remember to drop me a comment or a question at radiohostphillips at gmail.com. Tweet me at Healing for Couples. Until next week, folks, please take care. Thanks, and be listening. Thank you for tuning in to Psych Up Live. Please join Dr. Suzanne Phillips for another edition of our programming next Thursday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. We'll talk more next week. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network. It's staff and management.